Hello and welcome to the IAA Mobility Visionary Club. Today is all about startup trends. And we've got some special guests here to break down what's new and what's happening. We all know that startups drive innovation, but what's happening next? What do we need to be prepared for? And where should we be investing and getting ready to see big movement and big change. I've got some great panelists here to talk about the future of mobility. I want to start with you, Katarina. Katarina Kintop, you are the GM for Germany and Austria at Dance. Tell us a little bit about Dance. What what is it? Sure. Um, so Dance is a um, e-bike, e uh, e-moped subscription service and that recently launched in Berlin and Hamburg. And we are about to expand, or we are currently, as we're speaking, expanding into Munich and Vienna and soon to be in Paris. Um, the idea behind Dance is to really uh, ease the way of how you access um, e-bikes and e-mopeds mm -hmm. um, and make the step from a car into e-mobility very easy. Right. So we are offering a full service subscription um, that you can cancel on a monthly basis. And in that is also any service like maintenance and repair included. All right, Katarina, we are so glad to have you here. Thank you very much. Next, we have Julian Blessine. You are general partner at Speed Invest. Welcome. We're so glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about Speed Invest, just briefly, if you will. Yes, uh, Speed Invest is a venture capital um, investor, um, investing all, all across Europe, um, across sectors. Um, I'm specializing on, on marketplaces and consumer topics. All right, you're going to have a lot to contribute today. We're very glad to have you. A warm welcome to you. Joining us today virtually is Nina Geis. She is the CMO at Vive La Car. Nina, have I said it correctly? Feel free to correct me if I've got it wrong. No, this was absolutely correct. Thank it's you. It's really nice to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit about what Vive La Car is doing. Yes, we, we at Viblaka, we offer car subscription. So um, we have a, um, yeah, a big marketplace where we um, bring dealers together with uh, end consumers who need a car immediately. And um, so we really want to um, yeah, bring in the next big pillar in the mobility area, which is subscription when it comes to finance, leasing, and now subscription, and um, that's very exciting. Oh, that is exciting, and we are very pleased to have you joining us, Nina. And finally, last but certainly not least, Matthias Entenmann. You are joining us from Boston Consulting Group. You've been working on the issues of mobility and startups for many, many years. Say a little bit about why you're excited to be here today. Um, I'm super excited to be uh, I'm at BCG at the Boston Consulting Group with a unit called Digital Ventures. We are the business builders. All of our people actually come from the startup ecosystem and have built digital and other startups before. So we are building new startups, new companies all the time. One difference to Julian, he does it as venture capitalists. We do this together with large existing companies, large corporates, and we see this ever-accelerating uh, drive to innovation, new opportunities, big need for transformation for mm. the large corporate partners uh, and uh, corporates with whom we are working. And so super excited to chat about this. All right. I am looking forward to a rousing discussion. We have a lot of different viewpoints represented on this panel. We've got the money. We've got the people actually doing the work. We've got BCG. You guys are always in there somewhere. I want to start things off with a little bit of an icebreaker. So I'm going to give each of you a chance to respond. And shall we say, ladies first, Katarina, complete this sentence. 
the next big thing in the mobility world will be? Um, move away from ownership towards leasing and subscription models, um, which Dance obviously offers at the moment. Um, and with that, a strong movement to uh, away from cars towards micromobility operators. And with that, a regaining of urban space for the human rather than the car. Okay, that sounds promising. Nina, give us your perspective from Vive La Car. Well, I agree with Katarina. It's clearly a huge change towards um, alternative mobility solutions, which make you much more flexible and there to go through the entire um, opportunities of from micro-mobility all the way to um, still flying. So I think um, it's just going to be more interesting for everybody involved and the amount of flexibility, um, which then leads to more sustainable uh, solutions and less ownership uh, is a really good um, direction we're moving towards. All right, Julian, your turn. The next big thing in the mobility world will be? It won't be a car, that's that's for sure. <laughs> that's um, music to your ears, I bet. Of course, yes. And um, I think it's it's a service um, we, we cannot even imagine um, right now. Um, like so, what? Like, let's try to imagine it, flying scooters. I mean, what yeah, maybe, maybe flying scooters. Um, no, I mean, air taxis have been a huge hype, um, but I'm, I'm more interested in, in yeah, services you can already use, mm -hmm. and um, a subscription is a, is a great way to, to bring, um, bring mobility to, to new customer groups. Um, so, yeah, we are, we are looking actively in, into that. All right, so subscriptions, and it's not going to be a car. Matthias, next big thing in mobility will be. I love the themes of the group. I'm a big fan of all type of shared mobility, robo-taxi networks. I can also see this happen. But as it's the obvious mainstream here, let mm. me go for another one. The next big thing in mobility for auto companies and other operators will also be Metaverse and Web3 and moving into the next level of digital properties and digital existence. I'm going to do a plug here for our IAA Mobility Visionary Club. We have a whole episode about the metaverse where we talk exactly about this. You'll definitely have to check it that out. It will be exploding in the coming years, yes. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of folks. We're also seeing transitions to e-mobility, mobility as a service. Say a few words about mobility as a service. Why, why is this so interesting? For sure. So um, mobility as a service probably is most interesting because it's super hassle-free, right? So there's no ownership involved any longer. You don't, don't own something that you need to take care of, but rather can just rely on your service provider and they will do everything for you. So um, especially in the e-bike space, the upfront investment or for e-mopeds as well is pretty high, right? So if you're not really sure about whether or not you want to actually move to an e-vehicle, this is a really nice way of trying the service and trying whether or not this is your cup of tea. And this is all we are really about. It's about easing the way away from the car towards alternative transportation. And um, if you can do it on a monthly subscription basis, this is obviously the easiest way forward. I like the sound of easy. Easy speaks my language. <laughs> Matthias, what do you think? I mean, where are you seeing startups driving innovation in the sector? Taking perhaps more of a bird's eye view. Um, uh, let me again on the bird's eye view. Uh, in auto and mobility, 
you see a complete transformation of the mm. industry. You have electrification, you have autonomous driving, you have different ownership models and shared mobility. You have the huge drive beyond electrification to sustainability and green type of transportation. So, frankly, I see the industry where maybe the media or music industry was 15, 20 years ago. Oh, that's a interesting. complete transition and turmoil. And this is obviously where there are huge opportunities and huge change for the large operators, whether it's the auto companies, whether it's the tier one suppliers, mm. whether it's the public transport providers, the railway or the local... Uh, uh, mass transit operators and but these companies will not be fast enough why not? Or will not be fast enough alone because let's face it they have their or they are starting but they have their huge operation they have mm. their day-to-day -day business they have their established processes and it's really difficult to make change in these systems so you have to find ways to build things at the side and this is exactly where startups come in. Mm. Either they can co-invest in startups, but most often startups are just being started. Mm. And then the corporates, the large companies, can assist in accelerating them. Yeah. In some cases, they can be the innovators themselves in building them, but they have to set the right structures. Mm. So what I really, uh, frankly, coming back to the thing, I really see this... Uh, uh, this industry is still at the relative beginning of a big transformation, uh, like we've seen in several other industries, yeah. take uh, media, take music, take telecommunication from Nokia to iPhones <laughs> or smartphones or whatever. Yeah. So you will see this type of transition in transportation and mobility. So. I'm struggling almost where to start. Yeah, to change the, it's a broad the, the topic. Coming, yeah. yeah, but it's also an exciting time. It's a good time to be an investor. It's a good time to be a startup looking for investment or looking for market access. Nina, give us the the Vive Lacar perspective on this. How how have you found it as a disruptor, if I can use the phrase? I think it was interesting to hear all the other points um, so far because the one thing in mobility, what I think is we shouldn't forget it's, it's still an old industry. Mm. And we at Vive La Car, we are building an asset light solution where we collaborate with OEMs and with dealers and bring them together on our marketplace and we build for them the white label solutions. And there, sometimes it might be helpful just to go on a green field and to be the entire disruptor, but especially in the mobility industry where you are really, really um, depending on or dependent on sourcing, um, we decided if you want to scale properly uh, in Europe, what's our uh, big vision to be a global player there or a European player, um, is that we can only do it with the industry. Mm -hmm. And that's quite an exciting adventure to go because we have these both worlds. We looking for the digital target groups. We're working highly digital, highly data-driven on how to um, bring this whole process digital. And then we have dealers and OEMs who, and a lot of them, I mean, we have Hyundai, Renault, BMW, Mercedes, Young Stars, where we um, uh, do the white-label solutions for them, where we do the entire end-to-end -end service. And um, that's an exciting challenge. So um, you said yeah. something interesting. You said it can only be done with the industry. 
Has that been your experience working at an e-bike subscription? Um, so one point that I wanted to make is also that um, it's super important to also work with the government. So mm. because not only do we need obviously the industry, but urban planning, the way we are setting up public transportation is all down to the government. And so it's super important to take them on board as well. And we all know governments are even slower than the old industry. So um, really going side by side here and, and uh, yeah, streaming this together is super important. And that's one of the things that um, we at Dance also want to make sure that we build this movement, right? It's kind of a grassroots movement mm. where the more and more people that are using e-bikes or e-mopeds, the more it becomes apparent to governments, hey, we got to have to change something about my infrastructure. Otherwise, we are going to have more accidents. We are not going to be, uh, yeah, catering for the needs of our of our people, really. Mm. Matthias, yeah, I, uh, I heard you giggling. No, no, I, I, no, no, I just want to jump in. Uh, I fully understand where you come from. Where I've seen governments making a remarkable amount of change, or particularly cities yeah. and metropolitan mm. areas. Um, uh, where there are new bike lanes, they're considering how to make how, uh, how to let traffic flow. The uh, micro mobility, the e-scooters, the e-bikes we've seen. I still find it amazing mm. being spending a lot of time in Berlin. I was uh, earlier in London where I used a micro scooter, and there, literally, you have only limited micro scooter parking spaces. Where in Berlin they are flying all over the place, mm. which is nice if you look for the next one. But there you almost have to walk. I like to your next bus stop because this is where you can pick up one of these shared mobility mm. e-vehicles but you have to drop it off at the one as well okay. uh, which to me is a interesting example where I sense a government or a public authority acted yeah. relatively quickly so mm. yeah. well, would love to hear your thoughts on this <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, I was working prior to dance in the shared uh, mobility space and um, very much the governments were looking towards us, kind of understanding, okay, where should we, actually Berlin as well, where should we position or mark areas for these free-floating uh, devices? And I do think it does make sense to have that infrastructure. Um, and I do think, yeah, you're absolutely right. The cities are doing a lot more. Parison is a great example of how they've built a lot of bike infrastructure and have really improved, um, yeah, the lives of the Parisians, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, and but we can see also governments turning to us for data, right? Because they have very little data in terms of where do people actually cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So where should I build my next cycling line? And this is, I think, where providers such as us can really make a difference because we obviously do know to a certain extent where our uh, customers are. Uh, so what I'm hearing mm -hmm. is that it's a collaboration, yeah. right? It's startups, it's big industry partners, investment we all need money how do you see your role in this it's uh, it's also the cities as as, as mentioned uh, which um, play an important role um, for us as investors i think it cannot uh, go quickly enough mm. um, we think um, yeah it's uh, especially in mobility it's uh, sometimes yeah it just takes time, um, so we want to, to push it forward. Mm. And we see a lot of money um, flowing into into the VC, um, yeah, in, into VC um, funding in general. Um, but also saw like uh, mega rounds in, in mobility, so both in the shared um, shared uh, mobility. Um, um, as well as of course um, autonomous driving and. 
um, yeah, I think Europe is well positioned um, for um, for the next step. Mm. We, we were talking about these innovations. We don't really have anyone from big industry on this panel. So, Matthias, I'm going to ask you to sort of take this role. What does this mean for them? What do they need to do to contribute to this? And how can they be active partners supporting investment, startups, governments in creating the future that we all want to see? Um, if we accept that the market uh, is transforming, is reinventing themselves, uh, these companies have to reinvent themselves and they are all on this transformation journey. Yeah. And a lot of them have really done a good job. Whereby I would, from my point of view, and I guess from the view of this panel, they should probably even do more. Mm. Uh, they should co-invest. They should uh, see where they can start own initiatives, own ventures. You've seen some of them. Um, without wanting to pick on some companies uh, here, I still find it a bit sad if I look at the... Uh, ride-sharing, uh, car-sharing companies which emanated in Europe and also in this city where then you see more the Ubers and the Americans taking uh, over in ride-hailing or having had more successes. And I would really think that our industry should continue to push. They mm. should get engaged in the uh, startup system. They should be open for partnerships and they should start things themselves where appropriate. Yeah. We're going to come back to this issue of what Europe specifically needs to do a bit later. But let's let's all put on our thinking caps for a second and do an imagination exercise. It is the year 2040. I am coming to this studio. I'm somehow still employed as a moderator this far into the future. What does my commute look like? What's changed on a granular level in how I get from my hotel to this seat? Katerina? I have a feeling your answer is going to involve a bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, either a bike or an e-moped, really. Um, I do believe that our future transportation, as we can already see right now, will be manifold, right? It won't be that one thing that's going to succeed. It's going to be really a lot of different things that we're going to have. But for you specifically, as you're probably not going to live in the city, if you say uh, that you're going to be based in a hotel, it's most likely going to be some sort of sharing provider um, that you have in your one-step uh, app um, where you've already booked your potential train ticket with and then you're additionally also booking your additional step to the studio here. But obviously in your hometown you would have uh, a leased bike um, and maybe also a leased car uh, on the side. Nina, is that a vision that you share? Where, where do your views differ on this? I think it depends on where you're coming from. Uh, if you come from, from Florida, I would envision that you probably take a volocopter or a similar air drone, air taxi, autonomous air taxi to your hotel or to close by to your hotel because they go from port to port, uh, which might most likely be the quickest and most comfortable way to go there. And then you have a nice view over the city to get used to, to see, you know, from a bird view. And then you would most likely, um, and you would have booked it, I absolutely agree with your one-stop app, um, take either an autonomous little cab, which brings you uh, right to the studio, or if the weather is good, you will do it yourself uh, on a scooter or even on a bicycle where you even might want to use your legs to do some sports. 
um, and just come to the studio depending on the weather. But everything is going to be super convenient. I think you do not own anything um, and you have a great variety on however you feel like um, to move from A to B. Mm. You're painting a pretty picture there. I, I like that idea. Julian, where are we on the trend line here for investments? Are we going to see more new companies, more investment, or has there been a peak? Matthias, you seem pretty optimistic about the revolution that the industry is going for, but money talks. What is the money saying? Yeah, I think we, um, we will see a lot more um, investments in, in the mobility space. Um, and what kind of companies? Sorry to jump in here, but like, what are you looking for? Uh, right now, we um, we looked a lot in um, electric vehicle charging mm. infrastructure, for example, um, service around that. I think there will be uh, a huge shift from the combustion engine to, to electric cars um, that, that needs um, services around that. So I think we will see a lot, a lot in that space. Um, we already um, spoke about micromobility. I think this um, has been a huge trend over the, the past four years, um, but it will continue and it will really change um, how, how our cities look like. Um, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic. It's, uh, it's, it's not over. It's, <laughs> it's not at the peak. Um, I think we. We, we will see a lot of um, investment flowing in and um, with that um, also having yeah, mass adoption of, of services mm. um, that um, maybe only early adopters uh, use so far. And what advice would you give to a founder who's considering starting something in the mobility space? Is, is this a good time and, and where should they be looking? And I, I want to let you weigh in on this as well, but Julian, from an investor perspective, how do they ding your bell? I mean, it's um, we don't invest in hardware, um, so we are um, mostly interested in in asset light um, businesses um, like a marketplace. Um, um, there, there you can have yeah, great network effects um, once you have a critical mass and get the, the, the flywheel running. So um, I would look into yeah, asset asset light uh, models that in, involve software, not not so much hardware. But that's um, our our um, perspective. Okay, um, all right, of that's course, fair enough. Of course, there will be also great innovations in in hardware. I saw you nodding. Give us, give us your advice to the, to the fledgling founder who's considering a mobility company. What wisdom can you share? Um, so, I mean, obviously, I totally agree with um, having an asset light company is definitely easier easier to found or like easier to also get capital for because um, once you're asset heavy, then you require more capital. Obviously, dance is asset heavy, but I do think, especially with COVID now, um, the way of how we are moving is changing drastically. And so I do think there's a lot of space and a lot of room for innovation and a lot of like it's also good time to ask for money at the moment uh, investors are really willing to yeah to invest does that check out with what you're seeing give us some some bigger context where are you seeing the big investments go and and, and what's catching the attention right now Frankly, the biggest investments at the moment, if you look from a corporate point of view, are going into electrification. Uh, 
most amazing thing is there are still new car companies and car brands springing up after we had a hundred years without a new comp a car company. Now there are many new ones. So uh, electrification, autonomous and everything around autonomous mm. is obviously huge. But then again, everything around shared mobility and new modes of transport, like to your question on how will I get here in 2040? The, these are, the, to me, the three top themes are almost uh, um, electrification, autonomy, and shared mobility, different types of ownership models. Okay. Let's take a step back here and talk a little bit about the European perspective in all of this. How does Europe stack up compared to the rest of the world? And I'll leave it open. Who wants to jump in? Maybe yeah. Nina. <laughs> Nina. We haven't heard from you in a minute. In terms of driving innovation, how does Europe stack up compared to the rest of the world, the US or China? Well, I'm, I would love to say we're really, really great. Um, but I think we have some serious, um, it's a different thinking in the US um, when it comes to high risk capital and especially early stages, of course, high risk. And so um, I think we're getting better. There's a lot of funding we see in Germany coming in. There was three billion last year for in Berlin, which was um, uh, coming through VCs with, for around, I don't know, 4,000 startups. Of course, you know, some very successful startups got a lot. And so it does feel at the moment like um, it's very easy to get funding. I disagree to a certain extent because I think um, the, the the business cases need to be different. And I think the um, uh, Vision Fund and so on and the whole WeWork brought in a change in this whole how to, um, uh, who to fund and how to fund, which is most likely, a, I would say, a healthy development. Um, but I think the biggest problem we have in Europe, and we talked about it already, Uber and the super dominant players, they are extremely, like for, for players like this, it's going to be hard in Europe to fight against them because it's just very capital heavy. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't see the similar developments in um, Germany like uh, or in Europe comparable to the US. And I wonder why that is. Is, is the just money just example. not here? Is it the regulatory environment? Is it a talent problem? Like, what's going wrong? Let's break this down. I'm not so pessimistic. Okay, all right. We disagree. Europe, Europe did a great, great job over the past few years in catching up. Um, so both in, in how much capital um, inflow we, we see in in Germany, but also, of course, in, in, in the UK and in, in France. So I'm not, I'm not so pessimistic. Um, I, I, and and we see um, more and more um, interesting European um, challenger companies um, popping up, um, as, and the, the European market is is big enough um, to to found and um, scale great companies there. Um, so I'm I'm looking more uh, more optimistic in All right. uh, on, on Europe. All right, it's nice to hear a different perspective, Matthias. How, how are you thinking about this issue? 
I'm in the, in the middle between you, uh, you two because uh, what Julian said is right that uh, Europe has been catching up. Also, mm -hmm. Germany has been catching up. We now have something like 35 over the past few years uh, unicorns in the mobility space alone. I found interesting a Munich startup, Flixbus, acquiring Greyhound, an icon in the US. Yeah. So you see also European startups really going in the other direction and things moving. Having said that, I'm fully in uh, Nina's camp when she said, we are still not there enough. I think we are catching up. Mm. I would almost say maybe we do have one need to acknowledge versus the US. If you take the US, but also versus China, we do have a structural disadvantage. Mm. Scaling in Europe is much harder. Why? Because you have to go to different languages. You have to go to different uh, jurisdictions, governmental regulations. Mm. You may even have to go to different currencies, banking environments, whatever. So it just makes it harder. If you start a new company in the US, you have a 350 million uh, people market accessible for mm. you. If you start a company in China, you have a 1.2 billion uh, people market accessible to you. If you start, let me, not picking on a certain country, but if you start in Austria, mm. you have an 8 million uh, Uh, market and you already need to think about more complex regulations. So I actually think we in Europe should acknowledge that, mm. but then do the opposite. We need to be overly bold. And mm. so it means our regulators need to be faster and also we potentially need to be a bit more brave there mm. to continue on the route we are catching or we have been catching up quite mm. nicely, but I still think there is way to go, particularly if you think about Europe has been leading in auto and mobility. Mm. Uh, yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah, Europe is just, special. Just Sorry, let me just, here. let me let Julian finish and then we'll come to you, Nina, I promise. Yeah, okay. Europe is special and you have a lot of um, languages, a lot of countries. However, it makes it also incredibly hard for, for US companies um, to successfully launch in Europe and, mm. and come here. And we, we saw um, companies failing um, in micromobility, for example. I think um, American players um, thought um, it's, it's much easier to, um, to replicate what they, what they did in, in the US. And um, here to yeah, to deal with um, I don't know 20 27 uh, jurisdictions is is a yeah is a is a different topic. Yeah. Then you have one one large market mm -hmm. and um, so here um, being European also also helps because you you already know um, yeah, how to how to handle this fragmented market. Yeah, that's a good point, Nina. I want to let you weigh in. Yeah, I just want to say I didn't mean to uh, like. To say it's like super pessimistic, I think we—it's a great development which we um, which we saw in the last maybe ten years, but we still have a long way to go. And if I just think about how much or how not enough, for example, is um, funded in the areas of AI, when we compare this to Silicon Valley, um, we're far far away from that. Just when we we look at the numbers how much is put in what and how we think we're really getting somewhere already and with the whole area of micro mobility i just have the feeling i mean we're not yet there we there's no real positive case in regards to micro mobility i know when the, all these scooter started the idea was okay this is really going to work perfectly when they will 
like clap themselves together, drive back autonomously, get charged autonomously, and then spread out in the city. And then, you know, then it's going to really work well. So I think these are cases where we will see how they get there. But all when all this, like, we have never talked about in-car experience. This is a huge thing, like all the windshields. What do we, how do we develop an in-car experience that, you know, that cars are really differentiators when everybody's going to drive autonomously. And there's like so much technology which can be pushed and in the fintech area as well. And I think we have the talents in Europe. We have the potential there. I still think um, the U.S. is more open to like really telling the big story. And But we are hopefully getting there. Mm. You know, we're proving we have some great companies, but... Um, there's still room for a push. I guess another way to look at it is to ask the question, how can Europe be special? How can it use what are perhaps in some cases structural disadvantages, but also some advantages, a mindset perhaps, to say, how can we be special? What should Europe do? What do you, what do you think, Katarina? Yeah, so just to say, uh, I very much agree with what has been said so far. So obviously, the U.S. is way more bullish when it comes to investment and also just the, the mindset of like, yeah, it's a can-do attitude, right? So you don't really see that, especially in Germany. It's like, okay, <laughs> I've got to check like a trillion things before I even start thinking about it. Um, so that definitely, and that's a cultural difference and that you won't change overnight, right? So, um, but what I do think is great about Europe is that the cities here are more urban, right? So you're not as dependent on cars as you are in the US or in some Asian markets. So I think this could be also our advantage when we talk about mobility, right? So just to rethink about urban spaces or how we can regain urban spaces for humans rather than for cars is definitely easier in an European environment. And I'd love to take this as our strength rather than our weakness. Um, I mean, in the US, you can just look at um, public transportation is really malfunctioning except from New York City. And so um, I think this is one of our key advantages here. And we just going to have to make sure that we can combine all of these different modes. And yes, uh, we got to have to eventually also use some tech from the US. But yeah, I think that could be one of our advantages here. It's an interesting point, right? Because so many European cities were built before there were cars. Yeah. So they were built for people and not cars. Whereas where I'm coming from in the US, we built the city after we had cars in, in many cases. That's a really interesting distinction. I want to talk briefly about what it means to foster a startup ecosystem. We've touched on this a little bit, but whose job is it? Who has to do the work? It's really easy to say, Europe needs to do this, that, and that, but, but who, who? Who should be doing it? Don't all talk at once. <laughs> Well, may, may I add one point? Sure. To, and it kind of fits into this, but what we just said about, I think the one thing what I think is really amazing in Berlin when it comes to mobility startup is the collaboration between all these different players mm. who you would not think in the first place that they would be partners, like the city, BVG, Porsche, Lufthansa, I don't know, all these, like the, the big OEMs and then the the public transport and then even, uh, of course, the city and Yelby, for example, is one um, outcome out of this. And then trying to bring all these smaller players from the startup industry together and then build a bigger, bigger ecosystem. And somehow it's quite clear it cannot be the one company who brings in the solution, which will be holistic, uh, beyond everyone. So it has to, I think, especially in 
German cities being like uh, like a combination of companies and players working together. And I think there, Berlin is quite innovative. Mm. So what I hear you saying is that it's everyone's work. It has to be a collaboration and it can only really work if all the players are invested. Is that accurate? Let me jump in there with a thought. I would think what we hear, heard a lot, you need the triangle from startups, which I would mostly see from a capital point, meaning venture capital in mm. that sense. Uh, you need large existing corporates and you need the uh, government authorities, municipalities. And if I look at this triangle, I am very confident with what I'm seeing from uh, uh, the VC and the startup world. Mm -hmm. The push is there. Um, if I look at government and authorities, I think they're doing a decent job or there's obviously much more to be desired. Mm. But I would not expect government and authorities to lead that. That is happening in some cities like Singapore, who, which plan ahead, or some other jurisdictions. That doesn't work in our environment and society. So the group that's left over uh, is large corporates. Mm. And there, I think, if I, want, if I would want acceleration, I think large corporates could even do more because large corporates uh, will find it easier to some extent for governments or authorities mm -hmm. to listen and to cooperate with. Uh, startups are there and pushing anyway. And again, this is the angle where I think we have the biggest lever to accelerate. Mm. If large corporates decide, yes, we want to do more in a startup ecosystem, we want to do more with our municipalities and our governments. So there's an opening there, is what you're saying. I, I would, I would, oh, I would yeah. love to be, get thoughts from the rest of the panel. Yeah. What we don't have in, in Germany or in Europe is that large corporates buy startups. Mm. It's um, to, to Why not? a certain extent. And compared in the, in the US, um, you have you have the, the big uh, tech giants that that already um, yeah are the, the biggest acquirers of uh, of startups. But why um, doesn't that happen here? Uh, good good question. Um, if I would be uh, an auto OEM, I would uh, I would uh, seek uh, for for targets, I guess, because. Um, Many of them failed in their attempts to to go into micromobility, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but um, the, yeah, the the larger micromobility players uh, might be already too um, too big or too expensive mm -hmm. for um, for these corporates. They missed the boat. Yeah, you maybe missed it. Okay. Yeah, I think. Oh, sorry, Nina. Go ahead. I could answer um, knowing a little bit that side of the story. I think um, there's several reasons. On the one side, for a classic OEM, the evaluation of startups is always an odd thing. So there's like, you know, the, I think there's a knowledge gap mm. um, to, to bring this together when it's talking about like German or European startups. Number two, when in a due diligence situation, when then the people who will later be operational, when you want to like, bring these two companies together um, there's like a lot of doubts oh different systems how much is going to be then to integrate this what are we going to lose and so the the mindset if this would be a little more open and more um, flexible then I think it would make perfect sense for more OEMs to acquire startups but then of course the whole process, how to bring them in, what are the expectations, how to make them scale, what can, 
how how can we use the data for the benefits of other um, areas in the company? They're not ready for that. These this uh, and maybe maybe they need to think of like not just an M and A department, but like an integration department or something where hmm. they deal more with uh, CRM systems and so on. But it's I think it's it's a new area and it will will take some time because it's still the old industry. Um, but I think we're getting there. Okay. And the Asian companies are more open here, for example. So they're quicker, that's for sure. So we've Let's identified some, some sticking pressure. points, but also some potential opportunities. We're coming to the end of this discussion, and I want to give everyone a chance to weigh in and complete this sentence. Please, a short answer. Let's. One thing Europe needs to do right now, today, to foster a better startup ecosystem. And Katarina, start with you. Yeah, so one thing that we actually didn't talk about so far was um, participation of employees. So in mm. Germany, it's super difficult to give uh, em employees kind of participation in the company. Um, and so I think this is one of the things that the U.S. is much better at. And especially with the startup, finding good talents is super difficult. And uh, if you cannot partake them in your vision, monetarily speaking as well, then um, this will be very difficult to motivate. So really change the regulation around that. Make it easier for um, companies to give their employees uh, participation. All right, you got to get the employee piece of the puzzle, yeah. right? One piece of advice for Europe to improve yeah, the startup I, ecosystem. I would second that. So um, regulators uh, should, should work on, on some of the issues startups have. Um, the employee stock option um, are um, one, one big topic um, that's being worked on right now. Um, other than that, I would say um, Europe should do what, what they did very well in the last few years. Mm. Nina, piece of advice. Yeah, I'm on Katarina's side because um, now with COVID and You know, the international um, point, I think it's getting harder and harder to find good talents, um, especially in the areas where you know, there's not that many people and the, uh, the, the pressure is evolving. So I don't really have more to add here. I think I said most of the things okay. I wanted. Matthias, I know I'd you also, have thoughts on this. Yeah, I'd also fully succumb, just have regulation more startup-friendly across mm. Europe to the extent possible, whether it's employee compensation, whether it's taxation, whether it's maybe incentives for investors. There is still things you can do versus other jurisdictions, and we absolutely should do that. Secondly, I would think we... We should encourage uh, European industry to be more brave on mm. the innovation side and cooperate. Uh, you mentioned the point uh, of M&A potentially, but also in other stages of the life, uh, life cycles of, uh, uh, of startups or the innovation ecosystem to get even more involved. So I think we've identified a piece of it is the regulation. You got to get the regulation right. But you also have to be brave. And I want to thank all of you today for being brave, being on this panel, spending these 45 minutes with me, Katarina, Julian, Nina, and Matthias. Thank you so much. And thank you for watching. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to check out more of our IAA Mobility Visionary Club. We have tons more guests, topics, and information. It's all there at the click of a button. Thanks for watching.